You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit tvcresources.net. Good morning, church family. My name is Josh Christie, and I have the joy of serving as one of our small group coordinators for the young adult ministry, and also as a collector for the financial ministry. Our passage today is Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved." In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have, been, uh, in him we have obtained an inheritance, have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Buenos dias, hermanos y hermanos de la Iglesia Pueblo. All right. I'll tell you in just a minute why I decided to open up in Spanish. All right. But my name is Michael Morris, and I'm one of the elders here at TVC. And I also want to welcome those who are members and friends who are joining us this morning via the live stream. In the ninth grade, I took Spanish. My Spanish teacher was Miss Beverly Thomas. Miss Thomas had recently come to our school to teach Spanish. She was young, she was beautiful, and I'm sure every ninth grader, eighth grader, seventh grader had a crush on Miss Thomas like I did. Uh, all of the girls noticed one thing about Miss Thomas. That year at our school, she never, well, I say never, only one or maybe twice wore the same dress. I mean, she was a knockout. <laughs> Miss Thomas also did something in her class one day, and I'll tell you what she did. She outed me. 
I better hurry on before you read too much into that. Well, the year before, uh, between the seventh and eighth grade that summer, uh, I came to know the Lord. And I was endeavoring as any 13-year-old, 12 and a half, 13-year-old was, to walk out my Christian faith. But uh, I fell down sometimes. One Friday in Miss Thomas' class, I don't know what happened, but the old me decided to manifest itself and I showed out in Miss Thomas' class. Well, over the weekend, I really felt bad about my behavior. And so I waited on Monday morning uh, to go in her class to everyone. Almost everyone was in class, just a few people. And I slipped in with the last few people, took my seat on the back row where I sat in her class. And before she got started, I remember her saying this word, these words. Morris, are you saved? With my head bowed, I sheepishly said, yes, ma'am. Knew she was referring to my behavior that Friday before and the way that I did not walk in a sanctified way. So she outed me. In retrospect, my understanding of what it meant to be saved back then was limited to John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. As rich and as life-changing as that was to a 12-year-old whose heart had been awakened to his own sinfulness, Uh, to the fact that I needed a savior and to God's overwhelming love for me, I had no idea of the immeasurable gift of grace that I had received. I had no idea what it meant to be justified, no idea what it meant to be a new creation, to, to be adopted and to have redemption. Those are the topics of the last four weeks of this series. If you want to understand those more, go back and listen to those. I'd encourage you. I was certainly clueless of what union with Christ meant. On that summer night in mid-July, a year earlier, all I knew could be summarized in the words of an old hymn. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, Very deeply stained within, I was sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. And from those waters, he lifted me. Now saved am I. Love lifted me. Today, we will conclude our series, Every Angle, the depths and dimensions of the gospel by looking at what Paul had to say about union with Christ from his letter to the church at Ephesus. However, before we delve into the passages, let's do a quick flyover of the book of Ephesians, and then we'll conclude by zooming in on the passages that we have read today. A little bit about the backstory uh, of Ephesians. Actually, I like what Mark Dever had to say in summarizing the book. 
He says that in the first three chapters, Paul tells us what God has done. And in the last three chapters, Paul tells us what we are to do. He shifts from the indicative, that is expressing uh, statements of fact, to the imperative, giving authoritative statements of what we are to do. Paul explains what God has done for us in Christ, which informs and empowers how we are to live in Christ. So what's up at the First Church of Christ at Ephesus? We get some hints and not so subtle hints about what's going on at, at Ephesus when we read through this book and look at how Paul addresses the believers at Ephesus. In the second chapter, he talks about the fact that there are ethnic and racial hostilities that are in the culture and they are now infiltrating the church. There were those who were losing heart, becoming discouraged because of afflictions, because of sufferings, and in particular, Paul's suffering imprisonment, and that was having an impact upon them. He was in prison as he writes this letter. He talks about their walk, uh, their lifestyle. It was starting to resemble that of the culture more than it was that of Christ and his church. Their community of faith was disjointed and divided. It was characterized by pride, individuals demanding their rights, a lack of patience with one another, and an unwillingness to put up with one another's quirkiness. Their behavior, Paul says, was childlike and unstable. There was a general unwillingness to extend the grace that they had received to their brothers and sisters. Others were returning to a life of promiscuity that was prevalent in their culture. Some were getting drunk, others given to fits of anger and violence, still others were giving in to bitterness and wrath. Some were allowing space for Satan to occupy their minds and thoughts. Their communications, rather than being constructive, it was destructive, tearing down of one another. There was yelling, there was shouting, there was lying, there was speaking evil or slandering of brothers and sisters, there was foul and filthy language among them, families were in turmoil, marriages were falling apart because of lack of love and respect. Uh, children were defying their parents' authority and leaving the faith. Parents were exasperating, exasperating their children by sometimes harsh discipline and sometimes no discipline. Employers were harsh and using abusive language to motivate workers to produce. Workers were productive only under the watchful eyes of their employers. Some had lost sight of their mortal enemy and were now turning and attacking one another and blaming others for their situations. 
Did I mention that these were the behaviors of believers? Yeah. What happened to these believers? If anyone should have been grounded in the faith and of scripture, it should have been the Jesus followers at Ephesus. After all, Paul spent more time teaching and preaching at Ephesus than he did anywhere else. Three years teaching daily at the school of one Tyrannus. This, what we have seen and talked about there, was going on at Ephesus. This is what happens when our orthodoxy outpaces our orthopraxy. When we become more interested in hearing the word than doing the word. James says, when we do that, we only deceive ourselves. This, this reminds me of a gentleman I used to work for as a, a busboy in Fort Worth growing up as a kid. That was my after-school hustle. And uh, my boss there was a wine connoisseur in addition to owning uh, the restaurant. And every so often, he went to get together with some of his buddies and they would have a wine tasting situation where they'd come in and they'd have all of these extravagant wines laid out on tables and they'd go through them one by one. And the process was that they would pour wine into the glass, swish it around, smell the bouquet, and then take a sip of it. You know what they did after that? They spit it out. They spit it out. Unfortunately, many Christians on a weekly basis come and hear the word of the Lord. I'm not talking about you guys, okay? <laughs> they hear the word of the Lord. They taste of the fragrance or they smell of the bouquet and the fragrance of it. And they even taste it. But before they leave the doors, it's gone. James says when we do that, we're Hearers and not doers, and we're setting ourselves up for a fall or to be deceived. So that's what was going on there. Again, their orthodoxy was outpacing their orthopraxy. This is what happens when the things that matter most in our hearts don't align with the way we live our lives. So how do you get what we believe or how do we get what we believe in our hearts into our feet so that we walk it out day by day. That's essentially the message of Paul in, first, in Ephesians, the first chapter. Here, I want to pause here for a moment. I want to stop for just a moment. I'd like for you to do something with me. I want you to eject or at least hit pause on every thought of how you have come up short in your walk this past week. Or maybe this morning. Maybe in the parking lot. Maybe as you took your seat. Just hit pause on those thoughts for a moment. Not only that, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like for you to also hit pause on every thought of how you your sin and Satan has had the upper hand in seducing you again into what you may have accepted as your besetting sin that you're going to have to live with for the rest of your lives. 
Paul in this letter calls for the believers to walk worthy of the Lord and to stand firm against the schemes of the evil one. But before he does this, he lays out foundational truths, spiritual realities that are to inform and empower us in our, in our ability to walk worthy and stand fast. Three of these spiritual realities are what I'm going to touch on this morning. Number one, union with Christ. Number two, the benefit of being in union with Christ. Number three, the chief aim of our union with Christ. We're going to explore this whole idea of union with Christ. In this letter, uh, in his letters to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul uses the words in Christ, uh, in him, in whom, uh, by him, and through him. He uses these words over 100 times. It is one of Paul's favorite phrases and is both theologically rich and practically important. Speaking of the theological richness of, of this, uh, you know, I, I don't consider myself a theologian. Uh, that's not my lane, but it, it is what I'm doing here today. We've got, God has so blessed us with theologians in our midst who can take you deeper. And if anyone wants to go deeper in a theological understanding of union with Christ, let me encourage you. There's Matt Chandler, there's Jen Wilkin, there's Nathan Campbell, there's Mason King, okay, among others. But I do want to dwell on probably more so today the practical importance of union with Christ. Here's the big idea that I'd like for you to walk away with today. It's this. When you are in Christ, all that is true of him changes what is true of you. Let me say it again. When you are in Christ, everything that is true of him, Christ, changes what is true of you. Understanding this truth is life reorienting. So let's look at the passage there in Ephesians 1, verses 1 and 2. We won't go through all of the verses, but we'll, we'll just touch on them. Union with Christ. Today's text is from the first 14 verses of this letter to the Ephesians. We'll look at how Paul uses over 11 times uh, in Christ or some version of it. The first verse he says, and I'll, I'll touch on this for a moment, saints to the saints and faithful in Christ at Ephesus. By extension, this is at Flower Mound, at Dallas, at Fort Worth, at wherever you are. He calls those believers that we just talked about what was going on, saints and faithful. That word saints is the same word he, taught, he uses later on that says holy. Here's what he says about in Christ. The third verse. He says, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing where in Christ. God has chosen us in the fourth verse, in Christ. The sixth verse, he says, freely given us his grace in Christ. Seventh verse, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in Christ. Uh, ninth verse, God made known the mystery of his will in Christ. We were chosen, the eleventh verse says, in Christ. Twelfth verse, we put our hope in Christ. 
13th verse twice, he says, we are included in Christ and that we are marked and sealed by the Holy Spirit in Christ. Paul wanted us to get something there. What do you think it was? In Christ. We are in Christ. I like the way John Calvin summarizes uh, one aspect of Christ's work in uniting us with himself. Here's what he says. His task was to restore us to God's grace and to make of the children of men children of God. Of the heirs of Gehenna, heirs of the heavenly kingdom. Who could have done this had not the self-same son of God become the son of man? Had not so taken what was ours as to impart what was his to us and to make what was his by nature ours by grace. Union with Christ, again, is one of the most glorious and important doctrines in all of Scripture. At the core of Christianity and at the heart of being saved means that we are in Christ and Christ is in us by the indwelling Holy Spirit. I love what one of our brothers, Kyle Worley, Uh, said about union with Christ. He says, union with Christ as expressed by the various prepositions in the New Testament, that is in him, in Christ, through him, etc. These are more than theological truths of what what Christ has done. They are also truths that should be experienced by the believer. By the way, you want to get an in-depth study of union with Christ, listen to the Knowing Faith broadcast entitled Union with Christ. You'll find a a very informative discussion by Jen Wilkins, J.T. English, and Kyle Worley there. Union with Christ, according to Paul Miller, encompasses both a finished state and an ongoing process of becoming like him. It's what theologians refer to as the already but not yet. You see, Paul looked at the church at Ephesus and called them saints because they were already saints. But Paul was fully aware that they were being sanctified and going through the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. Saints, that's where we are Today, For many Christians, union with Christ is vague, even sterile idea. But when you begin to experience union with Christ, being part of the union brings a vitality into your life, a vibrancy into your life. Jesus put it this way. The thief comes to rob and to steal and to destroy. But I came that they might have life and have it in its form. Fullness, abundantly. That word life, there's the Greek zoe. And it's not just about quantity, eternal, long, forever. But it's about the quality of life. It is that life that was breathed into Adam in the garden that has been restored to us through Jesus Christ. P. 
Peter put it this way, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Did you get what Peter just said? We have become partakers of his divine nature. No, we're not God, but his breath, his life dwells within us when we are in Christ. Let me me repeat it once again, that big idea. When you are in Christ, all that is true about him changes what is true about you. Let's go to the second point, the benefits of being in union with Christ. Ephesians 1, 3. We'll just read that one verse, but like we did before, we'll skip down through there and point out some of those benefits. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Man, this passage uncovers the great riches that are ours in Christ. Do you not know that you are spiritual gazillionaires? Did I just make up a word? I think I heard it somewhere. Yeah, that's what we are. When it comes to the things of the spirit, man, we don't just have, you know, we have learned to operate in a scarcity mentality. And we overlay that on our God. Man, there's an inflation, there's recession, all of this stuff is going on. It's true. But God's never been hindered. His spiritual resources certainly aren't thwarted by what's going on in the economy of the world. So what are these spiritual blessings Paul lays them out and he says, every one of them, all of them are yours in Christ. He says, we are chosen in the fourth verse to be holy and blameless. Oh, I wish I had time to really kind of jump on that, but I don't. Matt talked about most of these in the first four weeks, so go back and listen. He has adopted us. That speaks to intimacy. The sixth verse says, we have been, and one version says, graced with grace. Wow, what does that mean? Uh, The King James says, we have been accepted in the beloved. And let me tell you what, when the light went on by the Holy Spirit of what that meant for me, someone who knew rejection, who knew abandonment, when that went on, it didn't matter. It doesn't matter what you think of me. Because you know what? The king of the universe has said, hey, Michael, You're accepted. Okay. Excuse me if I get a little black ugly up here on you. (laughs) He has redeemed us. Redeemed us. That means he's purchased us. He thought so much of you that he gave his only begotten son to redeem you, to bring you back into relationship with him. He has given us an inheritance, the 11th verse says. 13th verse says, he has given us hope. We ought to be the most uh, optimistic people. 
people on the face of this earth because of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. I know it's looking bad out there. But when we're, we're out there, but we're in here. We're in Christ. And finally, the 13th verse says he sealed or marked us in Christ with the seal of the Holy Spirit. You know, in verses uh, five and six, Paul sort of combined some phrases there that just really kind of blew my mind as I was studying. He says, according to the riches of his grace, the wealth of his grace, which he lavished on us. Have you ever had anything just lavished on you, poured upon you in abundance? It reminds me of when, when, when Mary came to Jesus and the disciples wanted to shush her away because she took this very expensive oil and she lavished it upon it. She poured it out upon it. She didn't hold back. Brothers and sisters, he's not holding out on you. He's not holding out on you. Paul in this book of Ephesians uses words like immeasurable, incomparable, unsurpassed. That's what he's done for those of us who are in Christ. These spiritual blessings are riches of grace as someone has referred to them or yours, they're mine right now. Oh, I can hear some of you right now. But Michael, you just don't know what a mess my life is right now. You know, nowhere in scripture or no one in Christ is precluded from some mess in their lives at times. You need to understand that. The mess of hardships, the mess of trials, the mess of temptations, the mess of troubles, and sometimes the mess that we make ourselves. Since we are in union with Christ and learning to view life from a heavenly perspective, we should start to see life difficulties and opportunities to grow in our faith, love, and obedience to him. This growth will begin to be displayed in our walk and in our stand. Our walk relates again to how we interact with others. Our stand relates to how we relate to our spiritual enemy. Let let me just pause right there. When it comes to our spiritual enemy, you know what he says about those who are in Christ? In Romans, you are more than conquerors. You're not just one who prevails, but you're more than a conqueror in Christ. James tells us how to, how to start looking, and, and this is important, how to start looking at our lives, our troubles, our trials from a heavenly perspective. He tells us this in James 1 and 2. Listen to what he says. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
That's a hard word, James. But you know what James is saying here? He says something is lacking when you're going through a trial. Selah. Think about it. Something is lacking. But here's God's way of preparing you to be steadfast so that you don't keep being bowled over day after day by the same trial. Sure, man, I've been bowled over day after day by the same trial. But I've learned and I'm learning how to overcome those things. And so James says, hey, quit looking at it from this earthly perspective. You are now seated in the heavenly. So you need to look down on your trials, your problems. You need to look down on them. And when you look down on them, you know what you'll do? You'll look up. God, you are greater than anything. All right. This clock keep running. <laughs> Let me assure every single one of us today, there is absolutely nothing that you and I as individuals, that we as the TVC local church family, or even the church universal will ever face where there and when there is not a super abundance of grace to see us through it. The days in which we're living are not the days we lived in five years ago. And we need to be prepared for that. It is precisely because of our union with Christ and the resources made available by this union that we walk worthy or holy and stand firm against every onslaught of the world, the flesh, and the devil. So what's the mess that you're facing right now? Let me just go through some things. Some people are frustrated by the mess of the ethnic strife and polarization that's going on in our uh, society, in our culture. Some are in the mess. Their mess may be the uncontrolled, their uncontrolled anger or the bitterness that has crept in because you've been wounded uh, by family members, by church members. Some, it is an addiction. Others, it's sexual brokenness. Others, it's a marriage that's stuck in the mud. Others, it's an adult child whose lives are in shambles. It is a career. Or it could be a career that in spite of all the perks and benefits of your job have left your soul empty. It could be covetousness that keeps you pursuing more and more of this world's stuff, but never satisfied. Or is it that nagging thought that by now you thought your Prince Charming, that man child who's still playing video games, <laughs> would have rescued from the loneliness of your balcony or your patio, but you're still waiting. You're bothered by that. Or it could be that feeling of abandonment and rejection that plagues you daily with doubts of your self-worth, your value, and your belonging. That's where I was at one time until I learned that I was accepted in the beloved. Romans uh, 8, 31, 32, Paul says, hey, what, Michael, what can you say about these things? Here's what he says. If God is for us, who can be against us? If he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also freely give us everything? 
I know some of you are having a hard time believing this. And I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel. I'm talking about the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. The Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit has invested every resource of heaven in you. As a believer who is in Christ, every blessing in Christ is available to you. We have everything that we need to grow in Christ-like maturity and to triumph over the temptations and trials that come against us. The final spiritual reality is to understand why God has designed us to be in union with Christ and why he has blessed us with these immeasurable spiritual blessings. Ephesians 1, 5 through 6, he predestined us to the adoption of himself or himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. What is that purpose? To the praise of his glorious grace with which he blessed us in the beloved. The 12th verse says, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. The 14th verse says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance? Speaking of the Holy Spirit, until we acquire the possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Paul explains that the purpose of our lives is not that we might pursue life, liberty, and happiness, but that we might live to the praise of his glory. Alistair Beggs put it this way, God's plan and purpose is not to make our lives tranquil, to answer all of our questions, but in order that we might live to the praise of his glory. So whether you eat or drink, Paul says, do it all to the glory of God. And whatever you do, he said, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and our Father through him. In First Peter, Peter says, if anyone speaks, he should speak as one conveying the words of God. Anyone serves, <coughs> he should serve with the strength that God provides so that in all things, God may be glorified glorified through Christ Jesus. The phrase to the praise of his glory, uh, while it is not exclusive to using our lips to sing his praises and to proclaim the goodness of the Lord, it is more about how we walk in front of the world, how we live our lives, how we conduct ourselves that becomes a living praise to our great and mighty God living our lives in such a manner that it results in praise to the majesty and splendor of the only wise and great God. Paul says we are his workmanship. That's you, created in Christ Jesus for good works that we might walk in them. Jesus himself said, let your light, the way you live your life so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify the Father. Oh, the graciousness of God sitting at dinner last night and just bowing our heads in prayer and having a conversation about the goodness and blessings of the Lord. Someone walks up to our table and say, hey, tell us about yourselves. Tell us about y'all. We want to know. That's, that, that's, that's not us. That's the grace of God on our lives. The big idea, once again, 
When you're in Christ, all that is true of him changes what is true of you. There's no question in my mind the spirit of God's in this place this morning. There's no question in my heart that the Lord has spoken to some of you this morning. And the Lord has said, you are in Christ. Now live like it. And we're going to pray. If you're here this morning and you've not trusted Christ, you're not in Christ. You're outside of him. You've not uh, answered his call to you that says, come unto me, you who are weary and heavy laden. He's calling you this morning. We're going to have people at the back. If you are hearing that small, still voice of the spirit, let me just encourage you to go back. Talk to some of those folks back there. Pray with them. Or if you're a believer, and man, you've been struggling. We all have these trials. We all have mess in our lives that we are walking through. It is so important that you uh, join arms, lock arms with brothers and sisters who can encourage you, who will pray with you. As long as you're trying to hide the mess, You'll never walk out of that mess. We'll have brothers and sisters up front who will pray with you this morning. But before we do, I want to pray. I want to pray Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, 18 through 23. Paul says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And here's this prayer. Oh God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of glory, would you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of who you are? Will you open the eyes of our hearts and enlighten them? that we might know the hope to which you have called us, that we might know what are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of the power that you have demonstrated on our behalf, that same power that raised Christ from the dead seated him at your own right hand in the heavenly paces, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and you've given him a name that is above every name, that not only in this world, in our time, but also in the time to come, the ages to come, you have put all things under his feet and given him as head over all things. You did this for your church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In Jesus' name. Let me ask you to do something. This week, would you go to that passage, Ephesians 1:18, to the end of that chapter, and pray that prayer every day. Pray that prayer every day. God bless you.